0: Lesson 9 for November 22-28 to 28, One Lawgiver and Judge Sabbath Afternoon, November 22 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we thank you for your word and as we open it this week we just need your Holy Spirit to be with us because there are things there that are sometimes hard to understand but one of the things that is not hard to understand is that you love each one of us and that you've given us your law and even though you're the judge you are also providing our representation through the death of Jesus Christ we pray now that as we open your word, that our hearts and our minds may be opened. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 4, verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Let's read that again, James 4:12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Our attitude toward the law, whether God's law or humans, affects how we relate to others and even how we relate to God himself. Have you noticed that sometimes the rich and famous act as if they are above the law? Even some who make the laws or enforce them may look for ways to write those laws for their own personal gain. Disrespect for a society's laws then can involve disrespect for other people because laws govern how we relate to each other. At the same time, those whose attitude toward law is rigid and unbending may also have difficulty in their interpersonal relationships. At a deeper level, our view of the law depends on the degree of respect we have for the wisdom of the lawgivers and the fairness of their laws. This week's lesson begins with a look at the law, but then leads into some important words about a form of arrogance and self-dependence that we might not be aware of, but which we are warned about as being sin, a violation of God's law. In fact, we're given here in James another way of looking at sin. Sunday, November 23, Judgment or Discernment Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. James 4, verse 11 Question, how does judging others amount to sitting in judgment of the law? The initial phrase in verse 11, that is literally translated speak against, could include several sins of speech including slander, bearing false witness and angry words. Let's look at Leviticus 19 verses 15 to 18. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honour the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbour. You shall not go about as a talebearer bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbour and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. On the one hand, it seems that James uses milder language here than in chapter 3, yet the implications of speaking against one's brother or sister seem more serious in that doing so calls into question the law itself. By placing ourselves in the judgment seat, we ignore our own weaknesses and focus instead on another's wrongdoing, as if we were somehow outside of or above the law. Let's have a look at Matthew 7, verses 1 to 3. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgments you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank, in your own eye such a focus also fails to love our neighbor as ourselves as we have already read in Leviticus 19:18 thus we are not keeping the law at the same time however while we should not be judging others we must learn to have spiritual discernment question identify in the following passages the areas in which spiritual discernment is called for Well, first of all, we'll look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 5. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that... There is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? And we'll look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this, I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And finally, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And of course there's Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted we are to compare what people teach and preach with the Word of God. We should also, as far as possible, encourage church members to settle their differences among themselves rather than in courts, where the judges may or may not be guided by God's Word. Most important, we should examine ourselves as to the health of our faith relationship and whether what we dwell on is uplifting and excellent or detrimental to our Christian experience. To finish the day, it's so easy to criticize and judge others, especially when they do things we don't like. How can we learn to know if we have crossed the line from being spiritually discerning to being judgmental toward God's law? November 24, the lawgiver is judge. All the laws of the Old Testament are from Jesus. They are sometimes called the law of Moses, because they were given through him, as we see in Second Chronicles 33, verse 8. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law, and the statutes, and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. And we'll compare that with Nehemiah 10.29. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. But it was Jesus who led the Israelites through the wilderness and spoke the Ten Commandments to them, at Mount Sinai, as we read in First Corinthians ten one to 4 Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus clarified and amplified the law. He is the Word made flesh, as we read in John 1.14, and it is by His Word that we will be judged, as we read in John 12.48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge, your neighbour? James 4.10 Question. What do the following verses tell us about Jesus as our judge? Isaiah 33.22 For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our King. He will save us. And Isaiah 11 verses 1-5 And there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord." His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist." And Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And finally, Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Only someone who knows the law very well is qualified to judge whether or not It has been broken. Lawyers study for many years before taking bar exams, which test their readiness to begin their practice. The scribes in the time of Jesus, many of whom were Pharisees, diligently studied also, and not only the Mosaic laws, but also the accumulated legal traditions. The fact that Jesus did not agree with many of these traditions resulted in serious conflict with the leaders. But as the one who gave these laws, he was and is uniquely qualified to explain what they mean and to assess whether or not they have been transgressed. So, when he comes again, his reward is with him to give to all according to their works, as you read in Revelation twenty-two twelve. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Furthermore, by taking on human nature, living a sinless life, dying in our place, and being raised victorious over sin and death, Jesus is able to save us from sin. As we read in Maranatha by Ellen White, page 341... God has committed all judgment under the sun, for without controversy he is God manifest in the flesh. God designed that the prince of sufferers in humanity should be judge of the whole world. He who came from the heavenly courts to save man from eternal death. He who submitted to be arraigned before an earthly tribunal and who suffered the ignominious death of the cross. He alone is to pronounce the sentence of reward or of punishment. And so to finish today, either reward or punishment, we will face only one or the other. What's your only hope of reward? Tuesday, November twenty-five. Planning ahead. Question: Read James chapter four, verse thirteen, and compare it with Luke twelve, thirteen to twenty-one. How do we balance prudent planning for the future with our need to live each day in expectation of Christ's imminent coming? How can we avoid the trap of merely building bigger barns? Well, first of all, James four thirteen. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. And we'll compare that with Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It may seem very reasonable to plan a year in advance or even more. Businesses commonly have short, medium and long-range plans. Individuals and families need to save for the future and to make provision for unexpected expenses. On the other hand, we also believe that Jesus is coming soon and that someday all of our earthly possessions will be consumed by flames, as you read in Second Peter three ten to twelve, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. These two approaches to life are not necessarily in conflict. Someone has said, Plan as if Christ were not coming for years, but live each day as if Christ were coming tomorrow. This is good as far as it goes, though long-term planning can make it difficult to take one day at a time. Many of Jesus' hearers and no doubt many Christians today would consider that the rich man who decided to build bigger barns was prosperous because God was blessing him. But Jesus reveals to us the man's inner thoughts. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. In short, his overarching concern was to lay up treasure for himself. Most important, rather than making our plans too definite, instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. James 4.15 This means more than simply appending D.V. or Dio Valenti, which is Latin for God willing, to the end of a sentence about our future plans. It means we should submit all our plans to God. We can pray, God, I want to know your will. If you are not pleased with these plans, please show me. Then if our plans are not good, God will show us that, as long as we remain attentive and willing to correct our plans or even change them entirely. So to finish today, read again James 4 verse 13. And that reads, Come now, You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, or make a profit. Though on the surface nothing really seems wrong with what is being said, obviously there's a problem, not in what the people want to do, but in their attitude about it. How can we be careful not to get caught up in that same attitude, even subconsciously? Wednesday, November twenty-six, a mist. Question: Read James chapter four, verse fourteen. What crucial point is being made here? Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Life is uncertain. Every breath is a gift. James 4.14 uses a very rare Greek word, atmis, A-T-M-I-S, which is translated as vapour or mist, like the Hebrew word hebel, breath, vapour, which occurs 38 times in Ecclesiastes and is often translated as vanity. It emphasises the transitory nature of life. Who hasn't, especially as we get older, experienced just how fast and fleeting life is? Well into his old age, well-known evangelist Billy Graham said, I never knew that life went by so quickly. In other words, there's always the imminence of death. We are all just a heartbeat away from it. Any of us at any moment, for any number of reasons, could die in an instant. How rightly James says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, in verse 14, including death. In Steps to Christ, page 32, we read I will not here dwell upon the shortness and uncertainty of life but there is a terrible danger a danger not sufficiently understood in delaying to yield to the pleading voice of God's Holy Spirit in choosing to live in sin for such this delay really is. Plus, not only is life so short but in and of itself it can also be so unsatisfying Question Read Ecclesiastes chapter two verses fifteen to nineteen, four four, five, ten, and nine, eleven and twelve. How does the message of Solomon here only add to the point that James has made? Well, first of all, Ecclesiastes chapter two verses fifteen to nineteen. So I said to my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said to my heart, This is also vanity. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool for ever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind." Then I hated all my labour in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labour in which I toiled, and which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. And Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4, Again I saw that for all toil and every skilful work a man is envied by his neighbour. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. And Ecclesiastes 9 verses 11 and 12. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to the skill of men, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time, when it falls suddenly upon them." We see so much injustice, so much unfairness, so much that doesn't make sense in this life. No wonder we all long for the promise of eternal life made to us through Jesus. Without that, we are just a mist that will be gone and forever forgotten. So to finish today, take stock. How much of this world holds you in its grip? How can you always keep in mind just how fleeting it all is? Thursday, November 27 Knowing and doing what is good Question Read James chapter 4 verses 15 to 17. In the context of the verses that come before it, what crucial point is he making here? Let's start at verse 15. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin." James here is dealing with the attitude of self-dependence. In fact, he calls that attitude arrogance, and the word spoken as boasting. He says it is evil. That's how important the right attitude is for the Christian. The Bible defines sin in two ways in verse 17. One, doing wrong, and two, not doing right. The first definition is given by John. Sin is the transgression of the law in 1 John 3, 4. Many modern versions render it, sin is lawlessness. But the Greek word anomia refers to specific violations of the law rather than to habitual lawless behaviour. We can see its use in Romans chapter 4. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And Titus 2.14, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And Hebrews 10.17, Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The second definition is given in james four seventeen therefore, to him who knoweth to, to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. We must therefore go beyond simply resisting temptation to do wrong. We are called to be children of light in ephesians five eight and to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father, who is in heaven in matthew five 16. Of course, one could get easily discouraged because after all, who constantly does all the good they could possibly do every single day? But that's not the issue. Even Jesus' life was not a continual round of ceaseless activity. There were times when he withdrew to pray or simply to rest, as we read in Luke 5 and Mark 6. Most important, He sought God's will in everything he did. In uh, John 5.30 we read, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus even compared doing God's will to eating. In John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Just as there are limits to how much we can eat at one sitting, so there are limits to how much we can do. That is why Jesus goes on to say that some sow while others reap, but both rejoice together. As we work for the Lord, we will be encouraged to do more and will pray for a greater willingness to be used in every possible way. So to finish today... How does prayer help us to die to self and thus maintain an attitude of surrender to the will of God? Whatever your plans are, how can you learn to surrender them to the Lord? Friday, November 28. From the 7th Adventist Bible Commentary, Ellen White Comments, Volume 7, Page 936 and 937. Let no one among you glory any longer against the truth by declaring that this spirit of discerning the evil motives of others is a necessary consequence of dealing faithfully with wrongdoers and of standing in defense of the truth. Such wisdom has many admirers, but it is very deceptive And harmful. It does not come from above, but if the fruit of an unregenerated heart, its originator is Satan himself. Let no accuser of others credit himself with discernment, for in so doing he clothes the attributes of Satan with the garments of righteousness. And from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 126 He who is guilty of wrong is the first to suspect wrong. By condemning another, he is trying to conceal or excuse the evil of his own heart. It was through sin that men gained the knowledge of evil. No sooner had the first pair sinned than they began to accuse each other. And this is what human nature will inevitably do when uncontrolled by the grace of Christ. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, look at the last quote above. How can we protect ourselves against doing the same thing, judging and accusing others so that we try to feel better about ourselves and our own shortcomings? Two, dwell on the fact of just how fast life goes by. What should that tell us about what our priorities should be? Though we're told by the special theory of relativity that time itself varies depending on how fast we are moving in a frame of reference, one thing is certain. No matter how fast or slowly time goes by, once a moment is gone, it is gone forever. How should this sobering thought impact what we do with our time? And three... How do we deal with those whose sins need to be dealt with and yet not fall into the trap that James has warned us about? Side Story. Our mission story this week is titled Not So Smart Solomon Wises Up. As a teenager, Solomon was not so smart. He let his peers influence his decisions and began smoking and taking drugs. He experimented with every drug he could get, and often he grew weak because he was not eating. Drugs were all he cared for. Solomon and his friends were always together smoking and taking drugs. They formed a gang and often fought with other teens. Once, when he was high on drugs, he picked up a machete, ready to strike his father, but a voice shouted to him, ''Stop!'' and he dropped the machete as if it were on fire. ''Help me, please!'' he cried. His family took him to a mental hospital for treatment, but the hospital kept him for only a few days. Solomon's grandmother prayed for him constantly and encouraged him to attend church with her and let God heal him. Solomon went, and there he felt God's love calling him. But he continued taking drugs for ten more years. Then Solomon's grandmother and father died. The two people who had tried to help him were gone. Finally, Solomon could run away from God no longer. He gave up and gave his life to God. It had taken him years to heed the voice of God. Solomon did not know which church to attend. He tried several before he visited a Seventh-day Adventist church. There he watched the pastor baptize someone, and instantly he knew what he must do. He went to the pastor and asked for baptism. The pastor reviewed the doctrines with him and baptized Solomon. Solomon's repentance was real— He serves his church and his God with joy and faithfulness as a deacon and an elder. Several members of his family have given their hearts to Christ because of his witness. Recently, he held his own evangelistic series and led seven people to Jesus. He is trained as an accountant, but he has chosen simpler work that puts him in touch with people he can talk to about God. Solomon shares his faith on the bus with strangers in the street. For years I was compelled to take drugs. Today I am, by God, compelled to preach, he says. He is eager to redeem the time he has left for God. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.